This is the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Friends, it's a showdown at high noon. We've been talking pornography, drug use, alcohol, sugary drinks, all that fun stuff (laughs) at a podcast hosted by a Christian university. We're not afraid to dive into the deep issues. It's a real honor to have Stephanie Slade, who's a senior editor at Reason Magazine, the magazine of free minds and free markets. It's one of the most influential libertarian magazines in the country. And if you've missed the first few segments, please go back and talk because this is the point of really some of the biggest conflicts in our society. What do we do with drug use? What do we do with the fact that people are uh, obese at a point in American history that we've never seen before? Uh, How do we solve these issues? Is the government the right entity to put restrictions? And what happens when the wrong people get into government? We deal with that with conservatives all the time. I do kind of want to talk about education because I think this is a really important issue. Uh, that we care deeply about. We're involved with parental rights and education. And clearly the government is in control of education in some capacities. And as the result, they're bringing in wokeism. They're bringing in gender identity, gender fluidity, the idea that kids can cut off perfectly healthy body parts. But Stephanie, help me from a libertarian perspective, understand how we should approach education. Should we get the government out of education entirely? I think that, yeah, the pure libertarian answer is there should be no government schools at all. They just shouldn't exist. We should let this be a thing that's that's figured out at the local level, uh, you know, again, at the individual private level um, government, because there is just no way ever to scrub all sort of values from a, from a school. The school will always be, in some sense, uh, inculcating values in the students that that it's just that, that it's never going to be the right uh, appropriate for the state to be the one doing that. That would be the pure libertarian answer. I think that a more realistic uh, path forward, given that we don't live in a libertarian utopia and it's not likely to change anytime soon, I think school choice really is the sort of um, a really good second best option. We want to be uh, maximizing the ability of families to make decisions about what kinds of schools, what kinds of education um, to to um, to you know that their kids will have. So so any kind of any kinds of reforms um, that that sort of widen the ability or empower parents and families to make these choices for themselves, so that you can have parents that choose parochial schools and religious schools or secular private schools or charter schools, magnet schools that focus on a particular, you know, a STEM school or a Mandarin Chinese charter school, like there is one in, in DC where, where I live um, and things like that. And you can have schools that try out sort of different, um, different uh, educational models, right? And, uh, you know, my, my boss's kids are go to an, go to an Acton school and there's, there's, you know, obviously there's just, there's, again, the, the answer here should be letting a, a thousand flowers bloom. And if we can't get government completely out of it, I want to, you can, you can draw that distinction between government funding and government provision and say, at least you know, move away from the from the default assumption that the government is going to be providing the education for most students. And if we, we say the government has a role um, funding it to make sure that every kid has access to an education that is providing vouchers or some sort of subsidies for those families that couldn't afford uh, to send their kid to a school if we just had a, a sort of market, um, you know, pay mar- paying market rates, 
okay, they pay, ta- you know, we pay taxes for this purpose. Um, you get, you get your, you get your dollars back, um, but they follow the student to where the family wants the student to go, as opposed to being funneled into, by default, being funneled into pri- uh, public schools, excuse me, public schools, um, and, and, and in the process, empowering uh, teachers unions to decide, and the government, the state itself to decide what, how, you know, how to inculcate or even indoctrinate uh, our kids, as opposed to empowering parents to make choices for themselves. So I think you and I would agree a lot on on that role. Um, I, I think that the the fact that the government is in the business of trying to force some type of values into education has been a total disaster because it's been hijacked entirely by the left. We were probably the biggest voice in the state fighting comprehensive sex education. And when you looked at the bill, their sex education wasn't comprehensive at all. It was a single world view. And in fact, at one point, they wanted to completely ban any type of traditional world uh, marriage worldview when it came to education. So the left gets control. They try to force these values. So could we agree then that if the government's going to be involved in education, it is at some form of regulatory management because there are kids that are growing up in families where the parents don't care about their education at all. I mean, they, they probably wouldn't even take them to school if they didn't have to. They might, the parents might be addicted to drugs. They're not married. They're not working. They're completely on a welfare state. Uh, and so the kid, there, there's no family incentive whatsoever to make sure that this child is educated. Is there a role for the government in your perspective that they need to step in and make sure that the kid at least receives some type of basic education? Um, probably, but I get really nervous anytime we even start down this path. And the reason is what you said a moment ago, which is that the moment we say, okay, we're going to empower the state to, to step in under certain certain circumstances, um, and maybe, you know, the next step is, well, we need to make sure that they're getting a good civic education, or we need to make sure that they're they're, they're learning at this level or that level about this um, this or that subject area. Um, those, those powers immediately get twisted for ideological ends, and more often than not happens by, you know, our enemies and not by the people that we would want to be doing it. So anytime the question is, okay, we have an opportunity to use power to try to do good, use state power to try to do good as we see it, um, we have to be, I think, we have to sort of check ourselves and say, um, is there a chance that that same power is going to get wielded against us tomorrow, you know, after an election or or whatever. So that's 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 sort of why I get, I'm not saying that there's never a role for the state in any of this. I'm just saying I get nervous even even starting down that road. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a wary traveler. You know, and I think you bring up a good point because, um, you know, if anyone pays attention to anything on TikTok, there's a channel that's very popular of a guy just walking around Times Square asking random individuals who are in the young, you know, they're probably just graduated high school, college, and they're at, he's asking very basic questions about civics, history, math, general things. And so these are all people you could assume probably went to a public school. I mean, I'm I'm public school graduate, so I have nothing against public schools at all. Um, however, I, I know I have a lot against public I, schools. I know you have a lot against public schools. I personally had a great experience, but we can talk about that. But um, but I was thinking about it. You know, we've had the government involved for so long in trying to mandate these certain bench levels that benchmarks that every student has to meet. Uh, you have state uh, level examinations. Um, with this expectation that every student is going to graduate from high school with a certain level of understanding of all these topics. Yet you can just go on TikTok, you can go on PragerU, they have a video similar to this of you can ask any question on the street and basic, basic common knowledge, how many states are in the United States and people can't answer it. So you're seeing that where, yes, the government has been involved to try and create those benchmarks, yet 
they're still not meeting them. You have schools that are poor performing that, you know, even though they get those consequences, they get, they, they have state intervention, there isn't a movement forward to actually correct the issue. Um, you know, and, and speaking, I mean, from even my public school background, my district was unique because we had open enrollment. And so you could go wherever you wanted within the district and it caused all the public schools to start competing for students. You had high schools start um, implementing STEM programs, visual and performing arts academies, um, IB programs. So it is interesting because I think obviously every student deserves to have an education, but what at what point is state intervention not actually helping in that situation? Well, who does it then? Who manages? Who sets right. the standards that says a citizen of the United States of America born here is going to know math? Right. Who sets that standard? I think it may be asking too much that, to expect some person to set the standard. What we should want is a society that functions to produce people who are civically educated and well-educated and knowledgeable and can can be productive and, you know, uh, members of society. And whether that happens, again, it, it doesn't have to always happen from the top down. If we have uh, a really, in almost every other field, we recognize that when you have more competition, you end up with better outcomes. So more competition in education, I think, we should expect to produce better outcomes. And if we get those better outcomes, then who cares whether there was somebody saying, deciding, you know, once and for all what everybody learns or not. This is the challenge I have with libertarianism because there's an ultimate reality. And this is what I appreciate about your perspective within libertarianism. Okay. There's an ultimate reality. There are children whose parents do not care about their education, who are likely addicted to drugs, unemployed, and just sitting around watching television right now. Okay, somebody steps in. It's the same thing with drugs. There are people overdosing on the streets. So we can't just have a kind of, well, we're going to allow people and we're going to, you know, different forces can speak. There are people dying in the streets. Well, okay, that's a fair. So go ahead. That's totally, it's a fair point. Let me, let me try to um, elaborate. Maybe I wasn't clear. Um, saying that there doesn't need to be somebody in the top down telling us what to do or how to solve a problem or determining the, the, the one size fits all solution does not mean that, that we cannot, uh, as members of society, find ways to try to solve these problems. So if there are kids who are not getting a good education um, because they can't afford it, because their, ki their, their parents aren't sort of in involved enough to, to help them get where they need to be. There are other ways or there are other ways to use civil society institutions to try to help those people, to find them, to reach them, to, to give them assistance. And I think that actually that that would be a more effective probably way of doing that because it would be personalized, because it would be uh, assistance being provided by people's neighbors and, and, their, and the people in their community as opposed to somebody far away, some bureaucrat trying to, to, to write rules that's going to somehow, you know, trickle down to these communities and get the find the right people and get them the particular help they need. No, no. The, the closer to the individual person and the closer to the problem that the solution is coming from, I think the more likely it is to actually help the problem. So, and, and in the past, there have been lots of, I mean, you go back in time and you find lots, oh, much more robust civil society, many, many more forms of, of, of charitable organizations and mutual aid societies and things that were, that were there to help um, people in need. And I think a lot of that has been crowded out by this assumption that, no, it's actually Washington or, the, or, or you know, maybe the state government, but it's the government far away whose job it is to solve these problems. And so these these uh, these really important institutions, the the, the mediating institutions have, have, have dried up and withered on the vine because they've been crowded out by the state. I think there's a lot of truth to that. We're mm -hmm. talking with Stephanie Slade, who's the senior editor at Reason Magazine, the magazine of free minds and free markets. We're up against a commercial break, so I'll hold this question and wait for your answer in the next segment. But do you think the libertarian movement is helping create those institutions? That was always my biggest frustration of going, 
I would love for the government not to have to provide these sources, but I never see libertarians step up and be willing to encourage the creation of these civil society institutions, which I'll have Stephanie answer when she gets back. And I want her to also talk about what it means to be a pro-life libertarian. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. We'll be right back. <laughs> 